Uh, this morning, we're going to move on to uh, another week, part six of authority of the scripture in today's world. I've had a really a, a lot of interesting feedback on this. Well, we're going to move uh, kind of quickly through a bit of review for maybe about five minutes uh, because I want to cover a lot of things today. Uh, as we looked at the scripture, we begin to understand the scripture describes God's position, God's word as its truth. We can do anything we want with that, but it's truth. It's his truth. We can reject it. We can deny it. We can embrace it. We can do whatever we want. What we began to look at is the scripture cautions us that every word that he speaks, every word he declares, he says, it will come to pass. It will happen exactly the way I say. So I can ignore his word. I can ignore it. I can move away from it. I can change it. I can do anything I want. In my arrogance, I can do anything I want with his word. If he says, this is not a good idea, Bill, I could still do it. I can disagree with him. I'd say, I, I don't buy it, God. I think you're unfair. I can say anything I want, and I can choose to do what I am going to do. But here's what he says. What I say is going to come true. My word is going to come true. So what we find is we can put ourselves in a position where we are really operating against God. And it's what makes it really important that we begin to search for his truth. Why? Because he says, that is the way you finish well. So a few things. He says, God says, my word will be accomplished. He also says, my words has an eternal quality. What I say doesn't end when you die. It doesn't end when you get old. When you get married, when you get divorced, it doesn't end. When you die, when your kids die, my word is still in action. It's in play. That's how important, that's how powerful it is. The truth, the scripture says, his truth will set you free. Do you know that most people see God's truth as some kind of bondage? Elements of restriction, Elements that, that prevent certain paths or directions or emotions or feelings or experiences that you really want. God looks at it very differently. He says, if you want to know the truth about the truth, it will actually set you free. It is not a restriction. It is not a burden. So when it looks like a restriction or a burden, you know what it's trying to do? It's trying to save you. Do you know that guardrails on a mountain road are very restrictive? When I go over the big 610 bridge, goes up real high, you know what I don't like about that bridge? They build the side so high you cannot see. I can't see over the side. I can't get up there and look over and see the downtown landscape of Houston. That's probably why I have not hit anybody. It's because they were smart enough to give me a sight restriction. Why? Because I love a view. I'd be, oh, that's cool. Look at that sunset as I am driving into other cars or trucks. Truth is never a restriction. It's never a burden. Truth will set you free. 
The scripture says, the truth, the rules you live by, will form who you are. All right? The truth, the one you live by, will form who you are. It will mold your character. It will mold your identity. It will establish the way you demonstrate honor or you take on honor. It will, it will establish what is important in your life, what is a priority. Your truth will do all that. The truth you give authority to, the one you are living by. It will mold you. It will shape you. And at the end of your life, people will be able to know your truth. As I described, I think for many of us, we live different truths in different seasons. You know, there's that season when you're in the youth group or, you know, you're in some campus ministry thing and, you know, you're really kicking it with Jesus. That's important. You know, then you get a girlfriend or boyfriend, then you get married and you have like 19 kids and you got a job and a mortgage and nine cars and you go, man, you know, that was a, that was a remember when faith. That was the great days of faith back in college when all we did was sit around and talk about Jesus. But I'm a working man now, and I have kids and a wife and a mortgage. I have cars to pay for, insurance. You know, it's a great idea, but this is not the season I'm going to love on Jesus. It's the season I'm going to do what I got to do. That's man's truth. That's the one he created. You won't find in the scripture where it says, you know, just do what you got to do, and, and, you know, God can come back in to be a part when your kids are grown. And then we looked at there's this challenge to truth. There's an ongoing challenge to truth. One is my heart. I have my own agenda. I have my own desires my own beliefs, my own bents, my own biases. I have those. The world has those. And then Satan brings a dimension where he is really wanting to sabotage all truth in my life. All of that is at play, and it creates a hostile world for you in truth. If you want to live truth, it will be because you applied great effort to it. If you want to live a life of truth, you will have to apply great effort in your life. You will have to diligently go after truth. <clears throat> Without that hardcore truth, what will form you is your experiences your weaknesses, your strengths, your relationships, all those things are going to mold and build you. So here's what the, here's what the truth says in the scripture about following your heart. It says your heart cannot be trusted as your moral compass. Isn't that a bummer? Just follow your heart. If somebody came to me as their pastor and said, you know, I just feel like I need to follow my heart. I get these big red flags that go up. Immediately when they say that, they're selling me something. 
unless their heart is truly pure and focused on Jesus. But that's never when they tell the pastor, I just need to follow my heart. When they say, you know, I just decided I need to follow my heart. I think, really? So where are you going now? Jeremiah 17, 9, first part of verse 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Well, there's some flowery morning words, isn't it? Your heart is crappy and hopeless in its crappiness. So there maybe is the starting point of why Jesus came at all. The Lord searches the heart and he examines the mind. He's on your side. But he wants you to know the truth about you. Another truth, the problem with our beliefs and our behavior is our heart. Mark 7, 23, 23, Jesus goes on. Jesus is speaking. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. All right, so as much as you probably shouldn't eat those chicken tenders, that is not what will destroy your legacy as a human being and as a follower of Jesus Christ. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside, and they defile a person. Now, I want you to hear this truth. It's saying that adultery, murder, theft, their origin is here. All of a sudden, it seems reasonable. It becomes a desire to take my neighbor's wife. To take something that doesn't belong to me. Because I want it. And because I figured out a way to do it. That somehow made it okay. Another truth from the scripture. When we choose contrary to God and we give authority to a different truth, our heart begins to darken. That's one I just don't think we appreciate. Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave, him, uh, gave thanks to him, but their, think, uh, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, it's like putting on the ring in Lord of the Rings. It immediately begins to corrupt the heart. When we choose contrary to the truth of God, it immediately begins to corrupt the heart. Years ago, I was talking with a man. This was over in California. He had just come to Christ. He had a pornography addiction. One thing I've learned about people with a serious pornography addiction 
is it is a dynamic addiction. It grows in what is acceptable. What might start out as just, you know, the appearance of a man or a woman naked is now about a man and a man, a woman and a woman, a man and an animal, or an adult and a child. It didn't start there. It started with what he understood was just good, wholesome, being a normal man. But his confession was a much darker, a much deeper one of where it had gone for him. Your soul will darken as you choose a truth different than God's. It just does. <clears throat> we store good and evil. Yes, we are a repository. We are an inventory. We are a warehouse of good and evil. And it's from that resource we live our lives. Matthew 12, 35, a good man brings good things out of, of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And then over these last few weeks, we've looked at the reality of truth being relative. Judges 9, uh, 17, we'll just look at verse 6. In those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And that's what society brings to the table. It's when things are now right in our own eyes. It seems okay. It seems right. And we develop other compasses in our life, uh, our feelings, our desires, our experiences. And they're all coming from that place that is corrupt. I, uh, I want to show you something. I have some people here to help me. And uh, for the sake of folks listening, um, we're going to have just a little demonstration. Um, Okay, Dylan and I are, we're on a journey, you know? Yeah, we're going on a journey. And, uh, and friends, uh, we're friends, and we're, we're on a journey of life. And uh, we are, um, you know, we're believers in Jesus. And so on this journey, do you think, do you think truth will want to invest in us? Real truth, God's truth? You think it'll be speaking to us? Yeah. Do you think other truth will be speaking to us? So I want to introduce you. This is? Truth. This is truth. 
This is modern truth. truth. This is added truth. truth. We have additional truth. And, you know, we could have relative truth, um, but it'll all play out. You'll see it. So we have decisions in life as we go down the road. You know, Dylan's thinking about some things. I'm thinking about things. And, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, I have this girlfriend. I'm thinking, you know, I'd like to get her to move in with me. And, uh, you know, I'm just living my life. And so as I go down my life, we're going to go that way. All right. So uh, truth is going to try to direct me. Phil, I'm truth. Come with me. No, no, man. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Keep going. Keep going. You know, if you do go that way, you know, you could trip over something. You might want to go this way right here. This Phil, way, this I'm truth. Way. Come with me. Well, I don't know. Look, even the Internet says it. <laughs> that way it would be better. Yeah, and everybody like you over there, man. Just think of all your popularity. There you go. You're going right. Everybody's doing doing right. Look at GPS maps. That way. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Now, now, scientific evidence shows that men are happier if they're with a woman and they live longer. Right. I know I would be happier if I was one of the women. This woman right here would be good. She looks like a good woman. There's no guilt over here. Look, look, there's another way right here. You can go you can go right instead of left. Oh yeah. And, uh, there's some cool dudes over there you want to look oh, yeah. at, man. Yeah. There's a lot more money this way. There's money. Yes. I need money. Money is good. I need a car. Everybody knows that. There's two planes over here. Oh. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Dylan followed the truth. <laughs> See, I'm not forced to follow the truth. Truth doesn't force. Truth does not yell out, you're condemned. Truth does not judge you. Truth does not bring you guilt. I want you to hear that. Truth does not provide your guilt or your shame. Truth points the way. That's what truth does. And society will offer you all kinds of alternates. It will talk about how ancient and religious and judgmental waiting until you're married to have sex. You 
you're waiting. What if you don't like her physically? What if she's not very good? What if she's frigid? Whatever that's supposed to mean. What if she doesn't like sex? Well, there's all kinds of reasons there to violate truth, aren't there? I mean, just think about what a terrible life and a mistake it would be if those things weren't exactly the way I thought they should be. But God says, I will point the way. I will show you the way. It's not the way of guilt or condemnation. It's not a way of religiousness. It's not a way of being approved. It is the way of following the Father who has shown us how to succeed in life and relationship. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Second Timothy and Second Timothy has really been our key text along the way because Paul is trying to help Timothy understand how to handle truth. When he says how to handle it, to not use it as a club, an instrument of violence, a way of judging people, a way of putting weight and guilt on people, but a way of setting people free. So he tells us that all script this is in 2 Timothy 3:16, all scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong, what is really true. What is wrong in our lives? What are the things that are wrong in my life? Wouldn't it be great if you could just sit down with God and say, you know, help me take an inventory here. What, what here is good? What here is just wrong? You say, you, I'll help you with that. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. And God gives, uh, uses it to prepare us and equip us to be his people to do every good work. Last week, I, I shared with you these four components of what I call non-negotiables. We're not going to hit all of them, but we'll share the four, the four big uh, categories. The truth you need to hold on to is the story. It's the big picture. It's about mankind, his creation in God's image, and very good. It's about mankind's fall, mankind's inability to restore and to make him or him or herself right again, about God's sacrificial love for mankind, God's plan from the beginning to rescue and save that which was lost, and God's plan to empower mankind to, our, to participate in the rescue of creation. They're a big picture. Don't let any other truth steal them. 
The big picture of the rescue, Jesus tells us, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I'm the one. And then as a new citizen, here's where truth begins to change us and mold us and recreate us in the image of the Father, rightly restoring our identity. It gives absolute foundations for character and behavior. It's no longer about how low can I go and still go to heaven? How low can I go and still be acceptable to God? It's God. How high are we going? Mold my character to be like you. My values and my priorities change. I begin to actually reflect the creator and the savior I'm really transformed in who I am and what I am. I become a powerful witness, a powerful expression of his love and his grace and kindness, and I'm empowered to be an agent of his love. And those things bring on the fourth category, and that is the big picture where we are affecting the world. Where my words become an explanation of my different life, where I don't make an enemy of anyone, nor do I let anyone make an enemy of me. You know, they can hit me, they can abuse me, they can torment me, they can do everything they can, but if I choose to love them, I will never become their enemy. Show love and mercy and grace in all circumstances. Allow his truth to shape your thinking, your day-to-day life, your relationships, your habits, and your thought life. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead, when he comes to set up his kingdom, he tells Timothy, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether it's an easy season to do that or it's a difficult season. Have the gospel loaded and ready to go. Have the message of good news and hope ready to go. Continuing, he says, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage all your people with good teaching. I want you to hear this. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage who? Your people, your followers. That doesn't mean you use the word to go out in the street and correct and rebuke everybody you see. When I was a kid, I don't know, seven, eight years old, my sister was a year older, and my sister and her friends, they had a record player on our porch. For those of you who do not know what a record player is, we had these, you know, vinyl albums, and it would play music through a little box thing. Uh, They were on our front porch, my sister and a couple of her girlfriends. They have, I don't know, the Beatles or the Monkees or something play, and they're dancing to this music. We had this family across the street from us who were very religious uh, folks, Baptists, and they sent their daughter over to tell my sister and her friends that they were sinning and being, uh, 
inappropriate or something. It, it was, uh, you know, it was a it was a interesting moment that at three in the afternoon, uh, you've got this child sent over by parents uh, to rebuke my sister and her friends for dancing on our porch. Now here's a context for that. They had four kids, three boys and a girl. Shortly before this family moved in, the oldest one was in a shootout with police on our street and was the main drug dealer on our street. The second one kind of stayed out of trouble, but the third one was in the same kind of trouble constantly, and the police were constantly on our street. And her kids were constantly being arrested. It was nothing on our street to see guns pulled at their house. You see, how do you think we took that rebuke? Do you think it endeared us to God? Or is it one of those deals where if those are Christians, I don't want any part of it. The word is not for rebuking the world. The word is for rebuking those, challenging those who declare they're a follower of Jesus, who want to be a follower of Jesus, and they're inviting that help. These are his people. So you can put it a different way. The word of rebuke, the word of correction, the word of counsel that the scripture offers, you can think of it this way. It's for you. It's to rebuke you and me. God would love to sit down with you and talk about those things and be honest with you. Bill, I'd like to really challenge you on that. That's stupid, and it's really messing up your head. It's really causing tough consequences in your life. And I go, really? But I really like it. Yeah, yeah, I know that part. <clears throat> Verse 3, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers. Put it another way. They will look for truth. They will look for a modified truth, an alternate truth, an enlightened truth. They will look for another truth that will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and they will chase myths. So if you have a lifestyle and now you're looking for a truth that says it is a good or right lifestyle, the Bible is probably not your choice. But I can promise you, there is truth out there. There is religious truth out there. There is Christian truth, so-called, out there that will almost document and validate anything you want to be.
Moving on, but keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. Work at telling them the big picture. Work at telling them about the grace and the love of God. Skip the next slide. In our society today, we've made our sexuality about rights. We've made a lot of things about rights, not about truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul reveals to the Corinthians it really isn't about rights. You have the right to do anything. Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say. He didn't disagree with that. He said, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is good. I have the right to do everything, but not everything is constructive. Not everything will go in the right direction for me. I can do it. You see, that's the nature of what Jesus has brought. He has removed it from being about the rules. It doesn't mean there's not a right and a wrong. It means that he's made that not the point. He's made the point following him to the Father. That's the point. And when we get into a contest with the world on right and wrong, on rules, we're falling back into Old Testament language. We're falling back under the curse of the world. And we are living in the deception and the drama and the struggle that was defeated. That's not where the church is supposed to be living its testimony. Rights are different than truth. This is not about personal rights. I had a youth one time tell me, she was about, I don't know, 11 or 12. I thought she had a wise statement. When I told her to do something, she looked at me and says, you can't make me do anything. I told her, you're right. That is a true statement. I can't make her do anything. It's still a good thing to do what I ask you to do. But I can't make you. It's not about your rights. Truth is not about your rights. I'm going to tell you something. This is on tape. Uh, I'll tell you that in a minute. It is about a moral compass that will guide and direct your path. It is about the reality that choices have spiritual consequences. All of them. And those choices can align you with the Father or contrary to the Father. It is about a moral compass 
that will guide you, lead you, serve you selflessly. The truth will serve you. In Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's the longest anything in the Bible. You know what it's all about? It's about the truth. And I, I went through and did some addition, and I think this is in the NIV. He calls it decrees. It's mentioned 18 times, this one psalm. The law, 13 times. It uses the word statutes 23 times. Precepts, 21 times. Commands, 22 times. Calls it your word 14 times and your promises 30 times. This is all in chapter 119. 141 times the scripture identifies these different words as the truth of God. And I'm going to have somebody just read a small excerpt from that. And I want you to listen to how this person is approaching the truth. Is it a burden? Is it a problem? Do not snatch your word of truth from me, for your regulations are my only hope. I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. I will speak to kings about your law, and I will not be ashamed. How I delight in your commands, how I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. The proud hold me in utter contempt, but I do not turn away from your instructions. I meditate on your age-old regulations. O oh Lord, they comfort me. I become furious with the wicked because they reject your instructions. Your decrees have been the theme of my songs wherever I have lived. I reflect at night on who you are, O oh Lord. Therefore, I obey your instructions. This is how I spend my life, obeying your commandments. Lord, you are mine. I promise to obey your words. With all my heart, I want your blessing. Be merciful as you promised. I ponder the direction of my life, and I turn to follow your laws. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. Thank you. This is a person that's looking to the power of God's word to be their comfort, their hope, their rescue. They meditate on it. They search it. They look for it. They glory in it. They hope in it. This person is not looking for a different truth. They're looking to live the one that they called an age-old truth. In our culture today, we have things that are very real, very polarizing things. Same-sex marriage, polygamy. If you don't know what that word means, it means you have more than one spouse, legally. Abortion. Immigration, and under immigration, you can just put, you know, bigotry, racism, um, 
you know, being afraid of Islam, Muslims, thinking we just need to blow up the Middle East and let that be done. It would be cheaper. The idea that the church supports Israel at all cost. Legalized recreational drugs, sex outside of marriage, and I always like to add greed because I think it's a card that plays always. Now, I could sit here and tell you what the scripture would have to say about these things. And to some extent, I'm going to do that. But I want you to understand, what I'm really trying to tell you is, if you want to follow truth, the scripture describes marriage as an exclusive relationship, a permanent relationship between a man and a woman. The scripture describes homosexuality as not God's design for humanity. Now, as truth was following me here earlier, truth did not bash one direction I happened to be going. It merely told me the right way. I will share with you in a minute, part of our struggle is people want to make a decision on what they think is right and wrong, check it off their list, and that becomes a part of their DNA. But these are very real issues, and they're very complicated issues. And Here's the part I'm going to tell you. I do not think that the Supreme Court was out of line to legalize same-sex marriage. I really kind of see it as their duty. I'll tell you why. It's because they are operating out of a truth of equality. And that means that if I'm not hurting anybody else, if I'm not doing anything that's contrary to the safety of life, then I should be able to do it. If you take that lens and you say that is the lens and the only lens you are to use in describing the legal system of the United States, then you would come up with the same answer as well. This is not a rights issue. It's not a legal issue. The government has legal issues. They have to deal with rights. It's true. God deals with truth. We deal in truth. The gospel reaches people where they are. Two guys, two girls, where they are, the gospel reaches them.
when I, when I am around, uh, and I've been around same-sex marriages really a lot, I embrace them. I care about them. I love them. I honor them. They are loved by Jesus. Does it mean what I believe they're doing is right? No, it does not. It is not what I believe. But I, I want you to know, and, and I know there's a host of questions, well, you know, why is it a man can't love a man in that way? Let me, let me just say here as we're looking at this list that we're, we're all born in levels of brokenness. We're all born into levels and conditions that are contrary to God's original design. You can see a six-month-old baby that is angry. Have you ever seen an infant that's just angry? How did that happen? I know a three-year-old who was jealous of his little brother, who was an infant, and almost killed him. Where do people learn that? You see, if the heart is corrupt, part of it is we were born corrupt. I was born corrupt. And the journey begins with truth. I, I don't want to oversimplify anybody's journey. I, I don't want to oversimplify how our government has to deal with these things. They are real, and they are, they're powerful issues. And I don't want, I think the church would really do so much better to represent the gospel. Let the gospel, let the Holy Spirit do what they do. This next slide actually... Um, you know, I, I want to, I want to, I think I'll go with a video here. Folks, what we think is right and what is in our minds as truth needs a moral compass, all of us. And my moral compass is not here so I can judge you. It's not the role of my moral compass. As the moral compass was giving light and direction to me, he wasn't saying, you're a sinner, you're a fool, you're going to hell. Truth doesn't do that. It says, follow me. So if you want to be a part of truth's story, then you learn the idea of love and mercy and grace trump judgment. And you say to people, follow me. Let God speak to you. 
Let him share truth with you. I want to see this video, and this video is going to seem like at the beginning that it doesn't really fit our story, but I think it does. This is about a uh, man who tried to commit suicide. We have lost far too many lives traveling the path to this day. Since 1937, over 2,000 people have died at the Golden Gate Bridge. I feel lucky to be alive every single day. Of the thousands that have died off the Golden Gate Bridge, I am of the 1% who have survived. So I was born on drugs and premature. And then I bounced around from home to home. Nobody wanted to keep me because I was sick. And I got lucky. I landed in the home of Patrick and Deborah Hines. I had a great childhood. I thought growing up that everything's going to be great. And then at 17, it, it all came crashing down. If you can imagine feeling that everyone around you is out to get you, trying to hurt you, and trying to kill you. And you believe that to be the truth. From the extreme paranoia, I exhibited symptoms of mania. From the mania came the hallucinations, both auditory and visual. And so with that and the bipolar disorder, I just was spiraling out of control. I vividly remember writing my suicide note. People don't get it. Like, I, I thought I was a burden to everyone who loved me. Because that's what my brain told me, because that's how powerful your brain is. I got off the bus. I walked slowly down the walkway of the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, people rode by me, drove by me, walked by me. And a woman approached me. And she said, will you take my picture? She said, thanks, and she walked away. It was that moment I just said, nobody cares. The reality was that everybody cared. I just couldn't see it. I ran forward, and using my two hands, I catapulted myself into free fall. What I'm about to say is the exact same thing that 19 Golden Gate Bridge jump survivors have also said the millisecond my hands left the rail, it was an instant regret. And I remember thinking, no one's going to know that I didn't want to die. In four seconds, I fell 75 miles an hour, 25 stories, and I hit the water. Uh, I was in the most physical pain I had ever experienced. I have ever experienced. The Coast Guard was amazing. Uh, he was just so freaked out that I was alive that he just dove in and brought me on board. The guy said, do you know how many people we pull out of this water that are already dead? And I said, no, and I don't want to know. The guy put his hand on my forehead and said, kid, you're a miracle. My father took one step into the hospital room, and I looked up at him, and I said, Dad, I'm sorry. And he said, no, Kevin, I'm sorry. And if you think about it, both of our immediate reactions were guilt, guilt that didn't belong to either of us. And even though I didn't die, I caused people a great deal of grief and pain. Just the day of my attempt still sits within them today. I asked my father if he still feared my death by suicide. He said every time the phone goes off, his first inclination is Kevin alive. I had that impact on my dad. So after the jump, uh, the road to recovery was pretty long. 
I had seven psych ward stays in the next 11 years. I, I still have all the symptoms I ever had. Mania, depression, psychosis, hallucinations, all that's still there. I just know how to cope with it and I know how to beat it. I built a support network over these years of treatment so that I wouldn't be fighting this alone. So like, it's okay not to be okay. It's not okay not to ask for someone to back you up. To the families who, who live with the loss or losses of loved ones, they didn't do that to hurt you or destroy your life. They, they took their lives because they were struggling and in a great deal of emotional and mental pain. Suicide, mental illness, and addiction are the only diseases that we blame the person for perpetually. But people die from suicide just like they die from any other organ diseased. Today, no matter the pain I'm in, no matter the struggles I experience, I do believe that life is the greatest gift we've ever been given. And if you're suffering mentally, don't wait like I did sitting in denial for so long. Because recovery happens, living proof. Kevin had more than one truth going. <clears throat> and your thoughts and your feelings are very, very powerful. But that doesn't make them right. Let's skip the next slide. We might come back to it or not. <clears throat> Quickly, how to walk in a world with many moral compasses. Don't join in the oversimplification of difficult issues. Quips are almost always cruel, judgmental, and arrogant. <clears throat> I have come to despise the 140 character Yi Ching of mankind. I think we do so much damage on Facebook and Twitter, Snapchat, all the rest of them, with one-liners that we're trying to bring correction to a world. One-liners are about being right and others being wrong. No one's ever been won by a one-liner chastising or rebuking. This slide that we skipped was, you know, Republican simpleton idiots or Democrats who give away all the money to people who don't want to work. All these are simplifications of complex issues. We have a different road. We have a different truth. These are all people, even when they don't act like people. Don't get trapped in rhetoric about topics that polarize people. <clears throat> Don't do it. Don't get caught in dialogue and in conversations that are about polarizing people. 
All of this stuff is divisive. It's a, it's a fruit of the enemy. It doesn't matter how right I feel like I am. It doesn't matter how big my cause is. I have to care about the person who does not agree with me. Respect where people are in their story. Respect them. They're complex issues. Transgender people live a complex world. Honor them, respect them. Care about them. People <clears throat> who live differently. Listen to people. Even if it's painful, listen to people. I got to talking to a guy at a hardware store this week. It was painful. I don't agree with anything he's saying. And I'm working hard in this conversation to try to open some doors in a little way. It's like, God, and I was, and I was really late. Like, God, help me out here. So I, I found a way to kind of close the conversation off and ready to bust and run, and he starts right back up again. Finally, oh, well, what about this? I'm like, oh, here we go, you know. I mean, I don't want to be rude to the guy. I feel like God is doing something, but I'm late. And <clears throat> Anyway, finally that kind of wrapped up, and you know what? I ran into him again yesterday at a different store. I thought, man, you're a stalker, dude. And we get to start again. I got to love that guy, don't I? Even though he's wrong in every single thing he says. He's bitter. He's angry. He's, 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 he's judgmental. Okay. There's someone Jesus can love. He's a lot like me. Practice listening. Draw people to greater truth. Draw them to the glory of God, to the peace, the hope, the mercy, and the love of Jesus. Closing it, yes, there indeed is a, is a moral compass to guide you. A creator God would not have left you without it. No, it is not up to us and so it can require hard choices, personal denial, gut checks, and will require your change. The moral compass will challenge your identity because it's reforming it, restoring it. That means you won't like it. And finally, it will invoke yeses and nos that will push you and cause you to self-evaluate. If you would stand.